The Voice of Value is supported by Heron Todd White. And welcome to The Voice of Value, an API podcast for property professionals, where we explore insights, issues, and opportunities across the property ecosystem. I'm Ben Dorrington. This week, we're taking a look at industrial valuations. And to learn more about them, we spoke to Greg Preston, the Chairman and Managing Director at Preston Row Patterson. Now, to start things off, Greg told us about his career and experience with the industrial market. I kicked off my career uh, in 1979, straight out of school doing valuation. I studied at night and was working during the day, but um, I was very fortunate to get a job at Hardy and Gorman at the time, which is now Knight Frank after several name changes. But uh, So I had a, a, a early introduction to doing all types of valuations, industrial being one of them. Um, and uh, the, yeah, the, it's been interesting just watching industrial um, space change over that time too, because it's quite a while ago, obviously. Um, and some of the changes, I think, have evolved as the uh, storage requirements have changed too. Like industrial in Australia really means um, warehousing largely. There are a lot of industrial properties that are manufacturing, but they're in the minority really when, in terms of the valuation work we do. Um, industrial value property can take many forms too. Like you get small strata units right through to significant um, uh, 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 warehousing um, and probably the focus today maybe is perhaps at that significant warehousing level I think um, Ben um, so the, how has it changed over time well the once upon a time in the early uh, well before my career industrial property was sawtooth with low clearance and sawtooth roof styles and low clearance and then uh, in the sort of late 70s it sort of started to emerge into um, portal frame higher clearance warehousing um, and that was designed usually at the around that sort of time around the trucks that move goods around and you know and it was around the time too that uh, container height access is a fairly significant issue for um, access to industrial properties um, but as the trucks have changed and got bigger like from sort of uh, single axle vehicles to semi-trailers and now B-doubles and they'd be getting bigger again um, the types and designs of industrial properties have changed so you know turning circle areas for example to get larger vehicles in um, but industrial has always been about and uh, you know warehousing sense, the height of the building internally, the size of the doorways um, into the the shed roller shutters into the buildings which um, uh, we refer to as container height access, so a semi-trailer with a container on it can back into the shed effectively. Sometimes for specific uses you see tailgate type access bays into sheds um, for different types of things. So the design of properties have changed. Um, They've got larger and the other thing that is um, probably in the last eight or 10 years is internal height. Um, Mm. With modern racking and so forth, um, and uh, also the computerised accessing access to that racking, the heights of the buildings have changed dramatically as well inside. Mm. So, you know, because you can get more more storage vertically within the buildings. So that is a a determining factor in rental too, because Mm. if you store more in height and volume rather um, than a lower base shed. So it's changed. But with automation too, the need for offices within warehousing has sort of shrunk as well. So you often see very, very large sheds um, 
and uh, uh, being developed with sort of not that much office accommodation. Yeah. Um, you know, like a 2%, 3%, perhaps 5% of the outside. So, But then at the other end of the spectrum is a small strata type industrial, mm-hmm. which um, you, you see some interesting developed and developments um, in that um, sort of area logic too, because quite often they can, you can see very densely um, developed sites for industrial strata units where they don't have great access and mm-hmm. you can't get very large vehicles into them, so they don't do too well, mm. but if, but you know, usually um, you, but, well, they're tailored to smaller vehicle access as well. So, but it's an interesting market, and um, industrial here in 2022 is, has been the uh, the golden child of all the asset classes. And, you know, we've been sort of touching on that um, uh, in a few of the questions that are coming up, but um, in a sense that uh, yeah, like I think industrial yields um, became lower than commercial and retail yields for the first time ever about 18 months ago or two years ago um, and that is just a demand driven thing um, I mean there's things going on with the other asset classes that um, we'll see that, that industrial sort of is, is probably the strongest of them at the moment um, in most demand um, and so forth, probably least affected by COVID. In fact, it actually was bolstered in COVID from everyone shopping at home and goods and going through warehousing. So it's been an interesting time. <laughs> are there any other external factors that you think influence them? You mentioned COVID, but I mean, what are, are there any other forces? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Well, prior to COVID, um, the the change in the nature and retailing had bolstered industrial. Um, mm. You know, with um, online retailing, instead of goods sort of being um, purchased by people and going into shopping centres and to people's homes and whatnot, um, the online retailing sort of sees the um, the the. the um the, the goods go from a warehouse to people's homes, but that's changed some types of industrial too because there's this logic of last five kilometres um, with smaller industrials that are more proximate, industrial properties more proximate to the delivery to people's homes. Mm. So whilst the larger sheds are out further out in the metropolitan area, um, I'm just talking about Sydney, my home market, mm. um, you know, there's this need now to get goods from a large truck into a shed to go into a smaller truck truck to be delivered to homes so Mm. that's driven a new level of um, of type of industrial I suppose Mm. in recent times but like that if you take where that was headed just with retailing prior to COVID and then put the whole COVID circumstance and lockdown in place, it pumped it up on steroids. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, the whole logic of um, the the industrial property. And then in terms of industrial versus the other asset classes, you know, uh, retailing um, has been going pretty well at a food-based retail level, like a Woolies and 20 specialty shops or Coles and sort of limited number of specialty shops. The larger regional centres sort of suffered through COVID with lockdowns and things like that. Um, And, um, you know, the office markets sitting here in sort of October 2022 um, after lockdowns and um, all of the technology that's evolved around working from home um, you know not sure where that's going to land but um, you know but but industrial as a asset class with what's gone on with COVID and um, this change of um, work um, perhaps culture or habit where people are working from home and not in their offices all of these things have sort of put a focus on industrial as the, the better asset class I think mm. at the moment but um, interesting. In terms of you, you mentioned retail and office just now I mean 
Um, how do industrial valuations compare to other asset classes? I mean, maybe, yeah, just looking at the, the valuation process, I mean, what are those, yeah? So. Well, um, I think the, if you just look at the, the methods of valuation, uh, you know, fundamentally, just taking a step back from the asset classes for a moment, the market approach is always the, the main approach where we've got plenty of market transaction evidence that can be analysed and applied. Mm. Um, but with um, uh, our warehousing property, um, where it's not owner-occupied for manufacturing, Manufacturing um, and shopping centres and office buildings, the principal valuation approach is the income approach, where you're drawing on um, uh, points of comparison with rent, um, capitalisation rate, discount rate, and so forth. So, um, but that the, the logic and the methodology is fundamentally di discounted cash flow or capitalisation, where we look at the rents um, from the the tenancies within the property, um, and then um, obviously. Uh, forecast them in a discount period, period logic and what have you. The types of leases vary between the asset classes, like invariably industrial is always leased on a um, net basis where a tenant will pay a net rent plus a proportion of the outgoings based on the area they occupy within the whole property, um, whereas office uh, re retail often is on a gross lease basis or with a... With a um, the, uh, the uh, single rent's charge and the landlord just wears the outgoings. Um, there's reasons for that which are tied to um, retail leases legislation and the obligation on a lessor to give disclosure statements to people, uh, when they're, they're tenants when they're in coming into a shopping centre, so it sort of minimises the amount that needs to be disclosed. Um, offices can vary, you know, like you can see offices leased on a net basis or a gross basis where um, there's recoveries over a year or an absolute grosser basis where there's not. Yeah. But, that, but I mean, that, what, what that is about is getting to the net cash flow, the bottom line from the asset. Okay. Yeah, yeah interesting. And, and then, you know, what are some of the issues or risks that, you know, uh, valuers should be looking out for with industrial valuations? And well, in the here and now, um, it's funny you say, I'm actually speaking at a conference in a, a couple of weeks to some fund managers on um, uh, the very issue. I think it's changed a lot now, Ben. Like the, the, the environment we're in at the moment in October this year is very different to what it was last year with inflation having kicked in. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, the landing on that with what's going on in Ukraine with Vladimir Putin and his, his um, aspirations, shall we say, um, and the impact that that's having on global inflation is is stark, and you know it's, it's taken us down a pathway this year, and it sort of doesn't look like it's um, uh, abating. But what what that means though is the interest rate market's changed, so um, the interest rate environment has changed. So the cost of debt has gone up as a result, you know, with the you know with the Reserve Bank pop pushing the cash rate up to try to in, a, in its attempts to curb inflation, um, the you know, the interest rate to follow that up so and then because of the interrelatedness of the capital markets um, the cost of equity has gone up as well you know which is um the, uh, you know, like we often sort of look at discount rates as a weighted average cost of capital, debt and equity, but the equity side of the equation has 
premised on uh, a relationship to the 10-year bond yield, which has also gone up. So yields and discount rates have moved. The, the, and that, there's no asset class that's immune to that. You know, it's the money markets, the capital markets. So um, whilst um, the industrial occupancies are still relatively strong, rents are strong, the, the interest rate environment is um, changing, uh, changing the landscape um, with you know, the, the logic around cap rates and discount rates. It's well reported in the press all the time at the moment as well. So um, industrial's not immune to that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm. yeah, interesting. And then, I, I, yeah, I'm interested in also uh, the, the development side of things for industrial assets. What are your thoughts around that? It's very interesting. We, we are doing a lot of work out around the new airport at the moment um, with um, valuing qu quite a few significant industrial properties out there. And it's got a uh, economic driver, which is, you know, economies of agglomeration around the new airport. Um, mm. But, uh, you know, like the, the development markets, um, just generally, at the, and it'll focus, come back to the industrial logic, but at the moment, the cost of debt has gone up um, in, in a development project. So, you know, the way we'd normally value a, a development site as just going back to the fundamental principles of valuation, direct comparison of land is usually the starting point. Mm. Um, but in the market that we've come into this year with significantly increased interest rates and also the other factor in development of any asset class is the, co the, the cost of construction has gone up alarmingly and the supply chain issues around materials have also added, exacerbated that as well. So um, if you were doing a, a valuation of a development mid last year, before this inflationary cycle really hit, notwithstanding there were some supply chain issues then, um, compared to now, the uh, the cost of producing the asset has gone up alarmingly. Mm. So if you just think about what's got to give in that process, um, the, uh, yeah, the, the, there's got to be a strength in the market to value the end product, the, end, the completed project, mm. um, and strength in ability to lease. Mm. Um, and then, um, but if the costs of creating the asset have gone up, there's only one thing that's got to give is the underlying land value. Yeah. So, but, but that hasn't washed, that logic hasn't washed through in transactions to a great extent yet mm. um, but I mean I think um, uh, you know the, but the develop the, that development the biggest issues in any development at the moment are the cost of debt has gone up mm. the cost of building has been widely reported to have gone up significantly in the last 12 months and it doesn't look like yeah. um, it will ease anytime soon but it will so most of these inflationary effects we're reading all of the economic analysis that will start to um, hopefully taper towards the, you know, after June next year. So some of these things, a lot of the, um, the the capital in the market is at some point will look through this cycle and say, look, I've got to get trophy assets, you know, um, under under management. So um, and I think look, some participants are getting close to that now um, as confidence builds. Like only overnight, um, I think the American stock market kicked back yesterday. Um, well, this morning's close in New York, and um, that um, was a, a bit of a confidence boost in the paper. That you know, there's a sense that things are coming to end with the inflationary cycle. Mm. It's very reactive, though. That could be the complete opposite next week. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's a bit of a yeah. It's been a seesaw or whipsaw. Yes, yeah. And, I, and yeah, I'm also just interested in sort of what's the most interesting industrial valuation or industrial property that you've looked at or heard of and just uh, give our listeners a, a perspective. Um, look, the, 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 there are 
There's lots of them, to be honest, yeah, at the moment. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a treasure trove. But the, the uh, data warehouses, you know, um, are usually built in, um, like in, in New South Wales, in our classes of industrial zones, mm. and they're very intensely developed on the site. Like once upon a time, if you're just warehousing, you would not go multi-storey with industrial property. But with some of the data warehouses, um, mm. they are being in, built in multi-level um, because they they also don't need to be high clearance. In fact, we've seen a couple of fairly large ones built um, in a way in Brisbane recently, we, we acted for a client, um, where the, they're very large warehouses, um, multi-levels, but um, and they've been built for a specific user. As, but they've also been built in a way that those floors can be taken out in, in you know, at the end of a 10-year lease and you could re-adapt the building just for high base storage. So, really? So there's, there's a lot of unusual things going on, but usually the data warehouses will um, are able to more densely develop a site because they don't need the parking, mm. they don't need the, um, the peripheral landscaping and that sort of thing, um, unless it's a requirement of you know, the planning and development controls. So, And, and then look, the, the, the other out at the airport, the new airport in Sydney at the moment, um, it has um, been a bit of a feeding frenzy um, for the precincts around the airport, um, which has been fascinating to watch actually as the planning to do with the airport has evolved. Um, you know, because like the, it was all rural land. Um, the, the, the Commonwealth Government acquired the airport site probably 35 years ago, mm. um, and with all the um, the, the uh, selection process considering other airports locations over many years, um, they already had that land at Badgeridge Creek where the, the site is. So, um, but what, what uh, there was speculative um, uh, land purchases prior to the zonings being released, you know, going back five, six, seven years ago. Mm. And then as the zonings and the, the planning controls around the um, what's what it referred to as the Western Sydney Aerotropolis state environmental planning policy um, and the precinct planning around that, it's really driven a lot of activity. It's been fascinating to watch the institutional activity moving into the area. Um, it's, it's got, there's a precinct immediately around the airport and there's another precinct behind it in, called Memory Road and all, all, a lot of the large players are out there, GPT, Fraser's, Mervac, um, building significantly large um, in warehousing properties at the moment. Yeah. But watching that evolve has um, been fascinating because it's sort of um, greenfield conversion to um, or rural land converting to industrial land. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Oh, fantastic. And then finally, you know, looking forward, what, you know, how might industrial valuations change in the future? I think the process won't change. Um, the 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 for the time being, with the with all of the externalities affect influencing the three main asset classes being industrial, retail, and office, well, the most prominently talked about. Um, there are, of course, others, but um, it's unlikely to change. I think you know, retailing um, has gone down a pathway that 
um, you know, I think our shopping, our large shopping centres will always exist, but they're, they're changing in their nature. But with the um, online retailing and the, the boost that it got through COVID, mm. um, I don't think that's going right, to sort of head backwards. I mean, a lot of the research houses are saying that we're understocked for shed space. Um, probably those comments are predicated on um, a pre-inflationary economy. Like the extent to which um, economic activity slows the need for goods going through warehousing mm. in the short term um, is uh, you know, something probably I'm sure everyone's pricing into things in the market. But in the medium to long term, it'll, you know, it, it, you know, it'll sort of bounce back, I think. Yeah. Oh, keep rolling on, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> at, certainly at the moment, industrial is the pick of the, the asset classes. If you can get well-leased industrial properties with a long while or weighted average lease expiry for a multi-tenanted one or single lease if it's a single one, um, you know, they, they, they attract all the attention from all the, the, the REITs and the institutional landowners. Yeah. Well, that's it for this week's episode. That was Greg Preston, the Chairman and Managing Director at Preston Rep Addison. Thanks for listening to The Voice of Value and please join us again for future episodes. Voice of Value is supported by Heron Todd White.